Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Praise God. Now, as, as was hinted at earlier, um, today is going to be quite a unique service, um, quite frankly, because a very unique um, occurrence has taken place. And um, it's, it's right and proper that we um, take time to, to acknowledge um, the work of God among us. So as we prepare to start, can I um, just lead us in prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for your continued faithfulness toward us. We recognize, Lord, that that is most notably displayed in your work that you've accomplished through Christ Jesus, your Son, on our behalf. And we appreciate that, Lord, Christ went to the cross and he cried out, it is finished, the work is done. And then after three days, he rose from the dead therefore providing the assurance of salvation to all who will believe. And we recognize that as we reflect on the cross and the empty tomb, that power continues to flow. Power has continued to flow throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia since that time, and is continuing to flow in and among us today. And we appreciate, Lord, that there are certain times that you choose to do a unique work and sometimes, Lord, you choose to do that through certain individuals that your name might be greatly glorified. And so, Lord, we thank you as we come together to remember and to give thanks for the life of our founding and senior pastor, Chuck Smith. And so, Lord, may this be a time of that's, that's encouraging, edifying, that may be challenging. Um, and may we, Lord, truly have really fond um, recollections and be inspired by your work through this man. Thank you for this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. So on Thursday, we were in the office. I got a text from Ayo, and it said, Pastor Chuck has gone to be with the Lord. And... For those who don't know, um, (laughs) Pastor Chuck Smith is the founding pastor of the Calvary Chapel movement worldwide. And so he went to be with the Lord on Thursday about 3 a.m. California time um, after um, having been diagnosed with cancer um, a couple of years previously. He went to be with the Lord at the age of 86, 86. And the Sunday before he departed, he was in the pulpit. They they say that men of God don't retire, they just refire. And um, he was determined to go out um, in the way that he began. And today what we want to do is we just want to take some time to honor the work of God through his life, 
The fact that we are here today is because of God's work through his life. And um, we want to kind of um, give many of you an introduction to him. And for some of you, it will be uh, uh, a fond recollection. And the way in which we want to do that is we want to kind of do that in relation to our journey and the journey that we've been on and how his life and, and the work of God through him has impacted us, um, bringing us to this place that we're at today. Um, Pastor Chuck was in ministry for over 60 years. In ministry over 60 years. And um, it's, 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 it, the, the, the fruit of the ministry speaks for itself. So there are at least, by estimates, 16 to 1,700 Calvary Chapel churches around the world, 16 to 1,700. And actually, this is from uh, the, the fruit of someone who never set out to be a church planter. He never set out to be a church planter, and yet 16 to 1,700 churches have been planted around the world. The Lord blessed the ministry to the extent that they were able to establish a uh, a radio network that broadcast across California and then across the USA. Um, they had ministry to television. They established, established a pub publishing ministry called Word for Today, um, publishing volumes of books. And Pastor Chuck himself had, had written a number of books. And um, the, the work was truly um, impacting. But it started with humble beginnings, and the real turning point was when God used him um, as one of the, the central um, key individuals at what was known as the Jesus Movement, what was known as the Jesus Movement, and this was around the <coughs> mid-60s. And basically, the Jesus Movement um, happened, you might as well say that it happened, God um, sovereignly done a work and you had a multitude of hippies in the USA um, who were, they were disillusioned, Vietnam had happened, and they were anti-establishment, US had quote-unquote lost the war, and they had basically rebelled against society, and so they determined not to conform in any way to society norms. They wouldn't cut their hair, they wouldn't wear clean clothes, they would just do drugs, yeah, and, and it was literally sex, drugs, and rock and roll for the hippies. And um, it's during that era that actually Calvary Chapel began to explode because God used Pastor Chuck to reach out to the hippies. And um, as, I, as we go through this journey, we're gonna play you some clips, um, and you can hear from him and others speaking about the work of the ministry, and just learn a little insight as to how God worked, what God done, appreciating that we serve the same God. The God we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So um, this first clip is Pastor Chuck speaking of his attitude toward the hippies um, during that Jesus movement time. 
my feeling was sort of, you know, turned off, I, dirty hippies kind of attitude towards them, you know, and why don't you get a job and why don't you cut your hair kind of a attitude, you know, and, and uh, it was Kay really that had the real uh, burden can I start for again? these young people. The one thing I can remember is just being fascinated by them because we had three kids in high school and I thought, why? My feeling was sort of, you know, turned off, I, dirty hippies kind of attitude towards them, you know, and why don't you get a job and why don't you cut your hair kind of a attitude, you know, and, and uh, it was Kay really that had the real uh, <coughs> burden for these young people. The one thing I can remember is just being fascinated by them because we had three kids in high school and I thought, why are they dropping out right now? What's, what's going on in their lives? And I'd see them roaming the streets or wherever I saw them, I would start crying. And we'd be with people and they'd go, oh, those dirty hippies, how can they bust at that? And I'd cry. And I used to beg Chuck to take me to Huntington Beach so we could just sit and watch the hippies. And I remember I started praying and saying, God, what's wrong? What is, what, what's going on? What's wrong with their lives? And I felt the Lord said to me, they're empty. They need me. And so Pastor Chuck wasn't open to trying to reach the hippies. He called them dirty hippies, just like most people in the culture at the time. But it was um, his wife, Kay, who really carried a burden for these young people. And um, everyone knows that um, behind an impacting man is a very influential woman. <laughs> and so we hear here. I, be I began to catch the burden from her. And just... Uh, beginning to pray for these kids and, and seeking God for some way uh, to cross this generation gap and to cross this uh, establishment, anti-establishment gap. I mean, they were so far from us. How do you even start to communicate with them? And so through prayer, he began to really seek God as to how to reach out to these hippies. And um, what basically happened after that was thousands of, thousands of them began to get saved. Literally, they were baptizing 500 at a time in the sea um, where they were in Southern California. And, and this began to um, explode. And whereas in the church that he was pastoring, um, the people were very opposed to the hippies coming in and they were just like, you know what, these people need to put on some shoes and go and wash their hair and, and have a fresh change of clothes before they can come in here. And they had just had a building renovation and it was just like new carpets and everything. And they said, they can't come in here with their dirty feet and sit on the floor and make the place untidy. And so Pastor Chuck was like, okay, I know what we'll do. We're concerned about the carpet. I'll tell you what we do, let's, let's tear out the carpet because they need to have a place to come to and to, to meet with the Lord and know Jesus. And so um, this is somebody commenting on the impact that the ministry had at that time. There is no doubt that he was used to rescue thousands of these young people and uh, win them to the Lord. When 
Chuck was uh, confronted with this, he welcomed them with open arms. And uh, so one brought another and others until uh, several long pews in Chuck's church were filled with these young people from the beach area. And it wasn't long until they were baptizing as many as 500 at Corona Del Mar uh, who had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, obviously, it was many years after that that we came into contact with Calvary Chapel. And um, we were in a church situation where we were, <laughs> maybe quite like the hippies at the time, were disillusioned. Um, there was, it was at a time in, in um, recent church history called um, the outpouring of the Toronto blessing, for those who uh, remember the, the era. And basically, there was all kinds of things happening that were not consistent with Scripture. And churches all around the country were embracing this. And we were in a church that was embracing this. And I mean, you know, it, it, on, on, a, on a mild day, it might have people laughing hysterically constantly throughout the, the service, people barking like dogs. And, it, and, it, and it, it went on beyond that. And all of this was supposed to be the work of the Lord. And we thank the Lord, um, the three of us being at the same church, we appreciated that, okay, look, this doesn't line up with Scripture. So how can we embrace this? And um, we, we felt like, you know what, we needed to go, we needed to move, we needed to leave, but we didn't have an option. We didn't have an option. And I remember um, Pastor Rob called me, well, called me, we, we was at the same church, we spoke one day and he said, you know what, um, you know that, that ministry we've been listening to on the radio, um, Calvary Chapel, um, Pastor Chuck Smith and Brian Broderson, um, I called them. I don't know if you remember that, bro. I sure do. Like it was yesterday. Maybe I'll stand up for this. Disillusioned really wasn't, I mean, that's an understatement. We had been crying out to God because we were in a, a, a church where, isn't it funny? You get to read the same Bible that you hear your pastor preach from. And as we were reading the Bible ourselves, we just found this inconsistency. And um, so over a number of months, we began to just have conversations with the leadership at our church, just with regards to the stuff that we were seeing happening, like Pastor E just mentioned, and even the, the theology that was being taught and the messages that were being preached. And so when we began to listen to, to Pastor Chuck and, and Brian Broderson on the radio, it was like, wait a minute. Apart from all the fantastic stuff, quote unquote, that we were seeing, their preaching was really simple in that there was no pyrotechnics going off, no explosions, no gymnastics. They were just simply teaching the Bible. And for us, in terms of where we were at, all of the exciting, quote unquote, stuff, that wasn't sufficient for us. How many of you know you can't, you can't really go very far on just hot air? You know what I mean? And that's what it was, it seemed, at least from our point of view. So when we began to listen to Brian on the radio, and we're like, wait a minute, there's something different about this. Not just because of it, it, was, it was minus the hype, but also because the teaching style was different in that 
They never taught topically, like, well, this week we're going to talk about salvation, and next week we're going to talk about giving. And, you know, it was like they weren't jumping, like, from here, there, and everywhere around the Bible. They'd, 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 they'd sit down and settle and focus on one portion of text and teach verse by verse. And we were like, we never saw this before, but it seemed like it made so much sense, didn't it? Mm. And, and for us who are involved in teaching ministry now, I, I, I'm sure I can say, fellas, for you and for those of you, those of you in the congregation involved in teaching, one of the hardest things to do is to try and come up with something just, Tim, could you preach, please, in the next two weeks' time? Tim would be like, what do I preach? Well, pre preach whatever the Lord puts on your heart. That's all right for a one-off because Tim is probably you know, a diligent student and he's searching the scriptures on a constant basis and seeking the Lord in prayer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all right for a one-off, but if you've got to do that week in, week out, like come up with a sermon, that's hard. So we determined that we were going to go visit this church because we found out that it was in Westminster. And I did. I actually phoned up Brian. and I didn't know it was him now. I phoned up this number because I actually phoned up Premier Radio first and I, I said to them, you know, I don't know who it is that puts on this, you know, these messages and what the church is, but I just want to thank you. They said, oh, no, no, here's the number. You can phone them. They're in London. I was like, for real? So phoned up the number and um, the person picked up the phone. I just said, oh, you know what? Uh, my name's Robert. I just really want to thank you. I've been listening to you guys on Premier Radio and I just want to thank you. Um, and that particular week, I'd heard Brian Broderson preach on a uh, adultery, and he went in. I mean, I'd never ever heard anyone talk about adultery in such clear. So I was like, I just want to thank you. That message last week that, um, that the person preached, it was amazing. And, and he said, oh, the person who picked up the phone said, oh, I got a lot of flack when I preached that message. I was like, it was you. I was like, you're Brian Broderson. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he says, yeah, we got the church. It's in Westminster. And, and I was like, what? So I went back and I told his brother, he was like, you know what, fam, the man's are in Westminster. Maybe we should go and check them. And so one Sunday, them two, you know what I'm saying, after all of us were just getting excited, them two um, determined to go. But I couldn't go because I was on nights in the post office. So them two, they left me. And they went to check out the service. And it was, I mean, they come back. They was like, oh, Rob, man, you got to come. It was amazing. So the following Sunday, all three of us in it, we all three rolled down there the following Sunday. Never forget, on that Sunday, Brian Broderson, he preached from Luke chapter 2. Never forget. It was like, that's, that, that Sunday evening, it was as if that one message in terms of nutrition and nourishment, it felt like more than I'd got for the whole year at my church. And the funny thing is, when we walked in, yeah, walking to the church, there wasn't a lot of people at the time because the church had just been planted. I don't know, maybe 30 to 50 people max, if not even, maybe not even that. So we walk in, and as we go in, we're like, oh, okay, we're like, like, where's the pastor? Like, like, where's, looking around the room, can't find the pastor because everyone was dressed like us. Our, our previous church, it's coming like every week, there was kind of putting a little, like, you know, you know the heavy-handed, like, You'd really look good, my brother, in a suit. But we, I mean, we're not feeling suits now, much less back in them days when we was young and, and rebellious, I say rebellious, in a godly sense, right? <laughs> so we're in the church and we're looking around and we're thinking, wait a minute, where's the pastor? Two twos, we see this man step up to the pulpit. The brother had on a pair of jeans. He had like a, like a PK polo top on and some Dr. Martin shoes, like, like Pastor P rocks them Dr. Martin. And we were like, 
that's the pastor. <laughs> and then, sorry, I've got to cut the real long story short. Right, he gets to the end of the message, and then he prays, and then he, he, he dismisses the, the, the service. So we're sitting there, we're like, wait a minute. We're going to have to talk to this guy because he forgot to take up the offering. So Now, you got to remember, that's another big thing in terms of where we was coming from. Like, we're used to two free offerings, five offerings. You know what I mean? Offering for the offering. And it was like, <laughs> we're, we're the, we're, so went up to him afterwards and just really nice and coyly, like, said, oh, we just, can we just introduce ourselves? And as, as I introduced myself, he said, you're Robert, aren't you? I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And something we've noticed about Brian Broderson over the years, I know we're talking about Pastor Chuck, but you know what I'm saying? Brian, Brian is a man, he's a man, he never forgets a man's name. You know what I mean? And so that was a make, we were like, wait a minute, you, rem- you remember from the conversation? I was, I was like, excuse, I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I said, I think you forgot to take up the offering. <laughs> and he went, oh, no, no, he said, Watch. He said, we got a box at the back. If anybody wants to give, they can just put the money in the box. (laughs) Listen, we weren't church hoppers because Pastor P, Pastor E and myself and our wives were all involved in the ministry at that church. And um, so it wasn't like we were just going to pick up ourselves on. And even when we were convinced that this church was wonderful, we still weren't in a hurry. And it's a long story, but it took about three months and we eventually transitioned from our old church to Calvary Chapel, Westminster. And, you know, Calvary Chapel, Westminster is a significant church. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite our brother Tim to come up. Because we're going to have a series of tributes. And, and Tim can tell the story of how Calvary Chapel, Westminster actually came about. Because he, or at least I'd say his family, had a lot to do with it. You know, it's funny, I actually, now you mentioned that, I remember that when they rolled in these kind of, uh, but I was this white kid, I didn't know anything about hip-hop, nothing, and these guys just rolled in like these super cool cats out of nowhere, and it was awesome, and, but the thing is, what it was, what it was, was there was this charisma that came with them, and it was just like, everyone was like, huh? And, um, but just to share with you what I really feel is Chuck's legacy, really, in that um, we're part of that legacy. And a part of one man that was faithful to just simply put the word of God into people's hands. And I read a book recently um, called um, An Unquenchable Flame about the Reformation. You know, you hear people talking about all these great reformers and these great people that did these amazing things. Really, the crux of it is they put the word of God in people's hands. They said, here's the word of God. Go run with it. They translated it from the Greek. It's basically what Chuck Smith has done. You know, we can talk about how great he was and what he's done, all these great things. He was faithful just to simply go, here's the word of God. And then it's enough when you're faithful to that and when you stick to that. I'll give you an example of how my family was involved. 1973, my dad got saved. He was an army man. He didn't have any truck with this hippie rubbish. He was very regimented. He, he was part of, he was, he was, um, part of a, a small house fellowship in Falmouth in Cornwall when he came out of the army. He got saved. And... At this meeting were some of these hippies, these, and and check this, this is the funny part. They'd run away from America because they didn't want to get sent into the army to go to Vietnam. They were draft dodgers. They were living on a houseboat in Cornwall, and they said, come back to our houseboat, have some coffee, and and we've got something to give you. So my dad went back with them to their houseboat, you know, chilled out with them for for a bit, and they gave him a whole leap of tapes 
And this wasn't like a CD or even an MP3 player where you could fit. Each tape was a 45-minute message, double-sided. So it was like 30 minutes on one side or not even. 20 minutes on one side, 20 minutes on the next. You had to turn it over just to get the 40 minutes. And my dad fell in love with this man called Chuck Smith and because he simply taught the word of God. I remember, and, and that's the beginning of my dad's involvement with Calvary Chapel, really. From 1973, my dad was like, the only church for me is Calvary Chapel. He went from 1973 to 1994 without a Calvary Chapel in England. And he was brewing. When's Calvary Chapel going to come to London? When's Calvary Chapel going to come to England? And um, I remember growing up with the sound of this guy's voice playing in my house all the time, just Chuck Smith. I didn't know who he was. I didn't even understand what he was saying half the time. It was just this soft, deep, loving voice that I heard. In the 80s, my dad got to do an internship with Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and go and work at the, um, the bookshop at Calvary Chapel for about three months, I think it was. So left his wife and his kids in England and went to America for three months. <laughs> Um, and did an internship with them and stayed with a, a, um, another family who eventually came over and started a church in Portsmouth, Calvary Chapel in Portsmouth. And I just remember just him coming back so encouraged and so blessed. And for years and years and years, my dad and my mom were praying for a Calvary Chapel to start up in, in London. And um, around 1994, they started hearing that this guy, Brian Broderson, was coming over. And, and what I found out later when I went to Bible college in Austria was in the 80s, Calvary Chapel was one of the only churches sending church planters out behind the Iron Curtain in Russia, in Hungary, in Ukraine. Nobody was going out there. And these guys were going and taking, again, taking the word of God and putting it in people's hands. Saying, here's the word of God. Jesus cares about you. Even in communist Russia, this was happening. And again, this is just simply from a man who's like, and some might think that he's not very dynamic. He's not very exciting, but he's faithful. And that faithfulness has changed many lives. Um, also, just to give you an idea in regards to the character of the man, because people see a man on the screen and like, oh, well, he's just like every other guy we see on TV. He's probably not that honest and he's probably not that humble. I, went, I got the opportunity to go to Bible college in California in 1998. I was 16 years old and I was supposed to be meeting Brian Broderson's daughter, Kristen. She was supposed to pick us up from the airport and drive us three hours to Marietta where the Bible college was. Me and Debbie, after an 11-hour flight, turned up at the airport, and then there's this old, bald guy standing there in a red sweater saying, hi, I'm Chuck Smith. I've come to help get you to, to Bible college. And he grabs my bags. Like, I'm 16. I'm supposed to be. He just grabs my bags, puts them on a trolley, takes us out to his car, and said, I'm going to make you get, take you guys to have the best burger you've ever had, and took us and bought us dinner at In-N-Out Burger, and it was amazing. Just this guy served us. Now, I knew who he was. But he didn't really know who we were, apart from we were friends of Brian and Cheryl and, and the kids and that from London. And he just took care of us. And, it, and, and I, can, I could give you a whole leap of stories like that of where this guy was just humble. He just loved to serve. Um, for instance, um, you'd find him regularly. Um, this is a story that's often told in the, the parking lot of the church that when, when they were a smaller church, picking up cigarette butts in the car park. He didn't necessarily say, hey, go and do that. Go. He could have, and, and he would have been within his right to do that. But he was just a servant. Um, so just to encourage you, then, that that's the heart of the man that, and, and the legacy of the man. So eventually that Calvary Chapel was started up. Um, we met in Greycoat Hospital, um, Greycoat School um, at first with Brian Broderson. And my dad was like, this is the church for me. This is the church for me. That's it. Not going anywhere else. And my dad was finally, and I've never seen him submit to anybody 
before. No pastor my dad ever submitted to, except for Brian Broderson and Chuck Smith. And it changed our family. It really did, because they brought, it brought us stability. The word of God was consistent. And, um, and yeah, that, that's pretty much my story and my part of it. And just to encourage you guys with that. Amen. Thank you, Tim. And um, Tim mentioned that, you know, um, Pastor Chuck was, he was not given to razzmatazz and so on. And um, I remember the first time I heard Pastor Chuck preach when he came to the church in London in Westminster. And I remember sitting down thinking, okay, so is this what all the hype's about? Because, I mean, I've been hearing him on the radio, and it's great you hear him on the radio. And, you, you know, you're, you're in your house or wherever you are, and you're just listening, and you're doing whatever you're doing while you're listening. But, you know, we, we came from an environment that many of you might be familiar with in your own experience where, you know, preaching was, was a, a, a sport. Like, it involved a lot of energy being expended. And so when Pastor Chuck just stood up to simply teach the Bible, it was like, to be honest, it was a bit of an anticlimax for me. I was like, is this it? Yeah. But um, I don't know, where's Brian? Is Brian here? Free Brian. Where are you? I remember um, Brian was there that night. And um, he, he has, you know Brian's got a memory, right? I was going to say like an elephant. I don't even know if it's true what they say about elephants' memories, but Brian don't forget nothing. And there was, I know that you remember that evening, and there was a particular illustration as well that really, even now, I think, remains with you, isn't it? Wherever you like, Rob, go on. Okay, um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, when I first heard this week about um, Chuck passing, Immediately, my memory went back to the very first encounter I had with him, which um, Ephraim just alluded to. And um, every time when any of them are preaching or I hear the word shocks me, I always go back to that um, evening, which kind of still remains with me like, like it was just yesterday. Um, and I was even talking to Capernaum in a cafe today, and I was just saying to her how when I heard he passed away, I wasn't even saddened because I knew he had run the race. Mm. And he had done what God had called him to do. Mm. Um, why I went there the first evening at the evening service because, um, as as Ephraim just said, we we all went to the same church. I remember Mark McDonald, Neil Semester, and um, um, Ephraim, Patrick, and Robert would go there. And then, as I said about the charismatic movement and the dodgy teaching we were hearing there, and things from. Um, and what's that guy's name again? Um, Jakob Prash was mentioning these guys who we kind of esteemed, you know, like um, um, Benny Hinn, Copeland, all these kind of generals, and mentioned them. And we went and um, checked the scripts like the Bereans did. I found out, wow, these, are, these guys are off-key, really. I remember going to Ephraim's house one night after they were in the transition of moving, to um, Calvary Chapel, um, Westminster, and sitting down with him and asking him, boy, what you're telling me, I've got to go and relearn everything again. I said, no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and things like that. So I came down um, this evening um, um, to Calvary Chapel, Westminster, and got introduced to Brian, said hi to him, and kind of kicked off because both our names are the same. And um, I remember sitting down and they were playing the songs and I'm going to give you some retrospective because there, there was a guy, a gentleman sitting in front of me who I now know him as Chuck Smith, but it was after the evening and the months and the weeks and the years going back to it that really stood out to me. 
There's a gentleman there sitting down before the service started. I was right behind him. People come around and say hello to him. And he just looked like any other person to me, wearing the same clothes like, like you said earlier on, Robert. Just you couldn't distinguish him from anybody. Remember the scripture of Jesus was, he was just like everybody else, the way he, he um, wore his clothes. Um, and then like Robert said, there was no offering, which I was scratching my head. What's going on here? Why aren't you take up an offering and try to empty our bank accounts and things like that, you know? Um, and then when Chuck was introduced, um, this person right in front of me just stood up. I went, huh? Who's this guy? And then walked up without a special suit, no um, Rolex watch or shiny sh suit or shoes. And um, I think you've heard, you've already heard his voice. He's quite he's got this distinctive voice. And just commanding voice, distinguished voice, which kind of resonates with you. And his message was just so simple. And I remember the message, like, Ephraim said, I've got a memory like this. But he was basically talking about Bible prophecy. And it kind of opened my eyes to how simple the gospel, God's word, who God is, can be. And he was giving us illustrations of um, how the Bible prophecy. For one person to complete it, it would it'd be, I think Yale or Harvard students had calculated one prophecy to come through was 10 with about, I don't know, 20 zeros to it. But someone to have completed like nine of those, it'd be like 10 to the power of 87 zeros. So that really got my attention. And he was talking about how you could fill up the whole of England with um, two pence coins about three feet deep. And then you just mark one coin with one X on it and just throw it in the air or throw it out of a helicopter or from space and it'll land. And then you would have to be able to be blindfolded, spun around several times and you just go and pick up one coin and one coin alone. And when it comes up, it's the exact coin with the X on it. And the possibility of that was just astronomical. I think Chuck was saying how you could line up all the coins from Earth to the moon and back several times just for a prophecy of that magnitude to um, even exist. And the one that really got me that Chuck mentioned was how, it gives me a better perspective of how God sees things and helps me see things, even if they're very complex, I'm able to see things very simple. The illustration of the carnival, where he said God is outside of time and is eternity. And how we look at things is more linear, where if you're at a carnival, and there's a float coming round, and it starts our blah, blah, blah time. By the time it gets to you, and it disappears from your view, and it goes round. But God sees the whole carnival, the beginning of the procession, when the float just began. And he sees it at the very end at the same time. And he's without time. And he can see things from the beginning to the end in a glimpse. And then, wow. So that simple teaching has always resonated with me. And that's makes the complexity of scripture and the Bible or how God sees things kind of more simplified for me, if I can say that, if you know what I mean. But um, that's one of my fondest memory. And then, like I said, going back to what Chuck, how he presented himself, no shiny clothes. I always look back and I said, look, he was a general, field marshal in God's army. And um, he was a true leader. You know, they say a leader is someone who, it's like an apple tree, an orange tree. You don't a leader never goes around and says, look, I'm an apple tree, I'm an orange tree. You just see that this person has got the fruits of a leader. So an apple tree will have 
apples or an orange tree. So you can just distinguish that being told, oh, this person's blah, blah, blah. And I, when I look back at Chuck, I can see that leadership quality he's had. And, you know, just the simplicity of him and just, wow, you know. Anyway, amen. Thank you, Rev. Thank you, Rev. And so even some of the things that you come to experience with regards to our commitments and the values that we hold as Calvary Chapel South London, they're not by accident. And even in terms of the, the, the Calvary Chapel movement and the ministry that God led Pastor Chuck to have, um, these things were not by accident at all, but very intentional. And um, I just wanted to ask Pastor P if um, he'd just share some of his recollections of when we first encountered Calvary Chapel and just some of the dynamics that we experienced that were different to what we were used to. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, yeah, I suppose um, Calvary Chapel was very, very different to what we had experienced in the past. And uh, I think Pastor Rob has already said that. And um, personally, I think that when I sort of had an encounter with Calvary Chapel, um, it was a very interesting stage of my walk with the Lord because I very much was in love with Jesus but wasn't so much in love with church. I wasn't so much in the things we actually did in church. And so to have an experience with Calvary Chapel and just the way they made church seem to make sense again was very, very refreshing and very encouraging. Because, again, at that point, I could have quite easily have stopped going to church and carried on playing football on a Sunday. That was kind of like where I was at. But the Lord in his goodness, you know, shut that door and just provided a Calvary Chapel to just be um, an oasis, really. Um, and just the simple, the simple way that they approach God's word. And again, I think I was at a point in my life where it was like you could have the most beautiful worship. And it was like have the most beautiful worship. And you could have the most brilliant experience in the spirit. You can have that. But I was like, give me the word. Give me the word. I just want to know God's word. I would forego wonderful worship. I will forego all those seemingly experiences in the spirit. Give me the word of God. And that's what they focused on. You know, without the razzmatazz, it was bringing the stability, bringing you back to God's word and approaching it in a way where as an individual and, as a, and corporately, we could all go through the word of God at the same pace. We could all start off at John 1.1 and then carry all the way through the gospel of John and get an understanding of why was this book written? What was the purpose of it? And what application does it have for my life in, well, then it was in the 90s and now we're in 2013. <laughs> we are here, yeah? Yeah. And so, and, and that still resonates with me now. You know, going through God's word in a simple way to make, to, so that it makes sense. You know, and Calvary Chapel, you know, provided the foundation for that. It still provides the foundation for that. It's not the best group of churches in the world. It's not the worst, do you know what I mean? But it provides a good foundation, good stability for that. So as, as far as Cal the Calvary Chapel movement was, is concerned, that's the fond memories I had of it and still have of it. Um, 
and, 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 and really appreciative to be a part of Calvary Chapel as well. Um, Pastor Chuck, um, we were fortunate to meet him a few times. And you always got a warm feeling. If, if, you if, you if you was in conversation with him, you know, there was nothing condescending or anything. You know, he treated you as an equal on a level. It was just lovely. And you just think to yourself, well, you're, you're the leader of this great movement. You don't have to give me the time of day, but you do. You choose to. And, and it was just really, really, oh, I don't know how to express it, really. It was humbling to be in his presence and to know that he was so accommodating. Um, yeah. And so, and that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's the work of God in his life. I mean, I don't want to be here elevating this guy to something he's, he doesn't need to be elevated to. But the work of the Lord through his life, you know, has been far-reaching, which is just um, is amazing. But just to think of him himself, um, in the book of Corinthians, um, it, it says something to the effect of that you may have 10,000 instructors, but you don't have many fathers. And that's very much how he was. He was a father. He was a father to all those hippies who came to him at a time of need and then became leaders in their own rights of churches big massive churches now with thousands of people and he was a father to them and and then he's a father to us and we're sort of like far removed from that but um it's knowing that we would encounter so many different people through our walk through our journey in life and some will give us good instruction but not many will come alongside as a father not many will come and say look i'm going to be to you as a father and, um, and that's what we, we, we see through the life of Pastor Chuck, that fatherly aspect. And it's such an important aspect as well because um, we know that the, the Old Testament, it, it ends with the book of Malachi. And again, it refers to the fact that God is going to return the hearts of the fathers to the children, you know, and there's that fatherly aspect which is needed. We see it in our own environments now, our own, in the society today, how we have young people who don't really have strong father figures, and so they're left to, up to their own devices. And, and so just to try to make a parallel between the two, you see how Pastor Chuck was a father to many. And because he was a father to many, those people he affected then became fathers to many. And then they became fathers to many. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to replicate that somehow within our own environment so that we could be fathers to the young ones around us, to people who have gifts and talents so that, you know, this is our Jerusalem. And we need to send people out into Judea and then Samaria and then Upman. And we need to be fathers to these people, to you, um, to some of you. And so, they're the fond memories I have of Pastor Chuck. Um, they're the fond memories I, I have of, of, Cal of Calvary Chapel as a movement. And, you know, I just pray that his legacy will just continue. I pray that, you know, the things which um, are really, really good about the church become even better. 
the things were not so good improve. I pray that, you know, something perhaps which we haven't really experienced so much um, in our 10 years of being um, leaders of, of a Calvary Chapel is, is, is the actual move of the Spirit. I mean, some people could come into a Calvary Chapel church and think they don't believe in the gifts. Um, they don't believe in the move of the Spirit, but we do. But it needs to be done decently and in order and as the Spirit leads and not as our goose pimples lead. You know, it's meant to be done as the Lord leads and as the Lord wills. And so just to be open because I think that I speak from my own experience is that because you don't want to get it wrong, you don't really avail yourself. You don't open yourself up to how the Lord may want to move. We all used to pray in tongues back in the day. I still do in private. So but do I. You do? I do. Praise God. In private. Any, anybody else? Get me some energy. All right. Anybody ever prayed for the interpretation of tongues? Can I get a witness? Anyone? I don't see so many hands. Brian's at the back. It's on you, Brian. We're going to pray for you for the interpretation. <laughs> you see, but, but you see, we all pretty much could testify that at some point in our walk we had, we prayed in tongues. But we know that the scripture says that, you know, there should be, if we're going to come together in a group like this and pray in tongues, there should be interpretation. But I've never really met too many people who actually say, you know, I actually intently pray for the interpretation of tongues. Mm. And we need that. Because if we don't have that within the body, we're, we're missing out on something. Mm. You know, and I believe get, those gifts are amongst us. I don't believe the Lord will call so many people together and not give us the gifts which we need. Amen. And so then it becomes a matter of, of, well, are you as an individual exercising that gift which the Lord has given you? That's a good challenge today, isn't it? Mm. That's a good challenge. Well, it's a good challenge for, you know, this tribute and memorial of Pastor Chuck. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor P. And I think that for us, when we first came to Calvary, we were confused because we saw a contradiction in so many ways. A church that was Bible, all about the Bible, and yet culturally was really open. I mean, what was for the hippies then became for the homies in our time. And it was still, there was still that openness. There was, a, there was a sense of, you know, okay, we have a commitment to the gifts, but having a commitment to the gifts in a balanced sense. We don't, wanna, we don't overemphasize money. One of, one, of, one of those sayings that they call a Chuckism, where God guides, he provides. And, you know, Pastor Chuck talks about the fact that, look, the, um, to, to minister means to serve. And so if you're a servant, you're giving. You're not supposed to be there taking. And so these are core values that, we definitely appreciated and have taken to heart as we've gone on in ministry. And um, just in particular with regards to the, the work of the Spirit, um, you know, one of, one of the, the verses, there are a few cornerstone verses that you knew that were touchstones for, for Pastor Chuck. And one of them was Zechariah 4, 6. And um, it says, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And then when people were trying to work out, like, how, how have you got, like, 30,000 people come in each week to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa with like four services and people sitting outside on watching on screens. I mean, it's California, right? They can do that. Watching on screens and whatever and all these hippies getting saved and so on. Um, he, you know, he, he had no formula for them. A 
apart from we rely on and depend on the Holy Spirit of God. And so um, in, in tribute to Pastor Chuck, um, I actually was going to share on that verse and um, actually this morning we would fine-tuning things and um, Bertram sent a text. Um, oh, look, here's, here's a message of Pastor Chuck. And um, it, the, the title of the message, let me show you. And this was recorded when he, a year after he had been diagnosed with cancer. And the title of the message is When Life is Overwhelming. And um, this was recorded just over a year ago. And as I began to watch the message, it was on that verse. I mean, none of us realized. And he, I mean, it speaks for itself. And so we're going to have a little break with tradition, and we're going to give opportunity to be exposed to the ministry of the word as God used Pastor Chuck to share this message. And at a time when he himself is ailing, and we see the faithfulness and the consistency of the man, even in his ill health, declaring the word of God. Um, it's, it's a short message, at least by our standards, that you'll be relieved to, to know. And so um, let's hear the word of the Lord. He opens us in prayer. And so you can turn to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll help us this day, that we might behold your glory, and that there might be that work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, changing us, Lord, from glory to glory, even into your same image. Bless now, Lord, the study of your word. Open our hearts, speak to us, and Lord, just let it minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we're getting into the book of Zechariah this week, and we'll take the first seven chapters tonight, and next week the next seven chapters, and then the book of Malachi, and we have completed the Old Testament, and we start off in the New Testament the following week. So, just about ready to finish up on the Old Testament. Been a great journey but we're looking forward to getting into the New Testament and the exciting truths of the New Testament. This morning, we'd like to look at the fourth chapter of Zechariah, verse six, where we read, and then he answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth in the headstone thereof with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. Have you ever been working on a project and you got to the place where you thought, well, there's no use even trying anymore. It's just too big. The task is too great. 
I can never do it. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by your circumstances and felt that you couldn't take one more step, that you might as well just give up and quit? Have you ever felt just like giving up? If you have, then you understand the feelings of Zerubbabel in our text today. He was discouraged. He was ready to give up. He had returned from Babylon with other uh, Jewish uh, people from the captivity, and they had high hopes. Uh, the people were in high spirits. Uh, they were looking forward to getting back to Jerusalem. They had heard of the beauty of the city of Jerusalem. They had heard of the temple and, and all, and they were anxious to see Jerusalem. And they weren't really prepared for what they found when they came to Jerusalem because the destruction by the Babylonian army was so complete. Uh, the city was nothing but rubble, piles of rubble. And uh, so uh, the magnificent temple was just uh, completely destroyed. And the devastation was just unbelievable. The people of the neighboring villages have pillaged the city and uh, the people just their hearts sank when they saw uh, the condition and their dreams were sort of shattered uh, and just because of the reality of what they were looking at have you ever worked all day very hard and at the end of the day you couldn't see any visible results of your labor um, it seems like you made no headway. But think of after working months and again having that feeling that you can't even see what you've done in these many months. The pile of rubble still looks as big as it did when you first started to move it. And if you can catch this, you're catching the mindset of the people. They were discouraged. They were ready to give up. The people had become so demoralized uh, that they'd given up the project of rebuilding the temple and they started working on their own houses and left the temple just uh, to go. The book of Haggai was written at the same time that uh, Zechariah was writing his book. Uh, there's only about two months difference between uh, the writing of the two books. And uh, Haggai was uh, calling on the people uh, to get, not give up and to get back to work on the house of God. And uh, he pointed out that God's blessings were lacking because they were letting the house of God go desolate while they were just tending to their own personal houses. We need to remember that the most important relationship in our lives is the vertical relationship, our relationship with God. If this is right, then the horizontal relationships will be right. But until this is right, uh, our whole life will always be out of kilter. It seems that there is a fixed axis in our life between the <coughs> perpendicular and the horizontal. And 
if the perpendicular, my up and down relationship with God is right, then my horizontal is right. I have a right relationship with you. But if my perpendicular gets out of kilter, then it's a fixed axis and my relationship with others becomes topsy-turvy, up and down, and uh, I have a real problem. So uh, the importance of seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, then all of these other things will be added unto you. God will take care of the others. But the important thing, of course, is that vertical axis upon which our whole lives spin or are resolving, are revolving. Jesus, of course, encouraged us to seek the spiritual things first. Through the prophet of Zechariah, God is going to send the message to the leaders to encourage them to return and to start building the temple again. Uh, God said, if you notice that you just don't have enough money to get through the week, that uh, you're always, you know, just uh, short and so forth, it's because, he said, you've forsaken my house and you're busy about your own things and, and that's the reason why you're just having so many problems, so many difficulties, uh, so much hardship. So during this time, Zechariah saw this vision that the Lord gave him. And the vision was of the menorah. Now the menorah was that seven golden candlestick. Or candlestick was seven uh, little cups on the uh, arms of it. And um, that was to light up the sanctuary of the uh, Jewish uh, temple. And uh, it was to be a symbol that God intended the Jewish nation to be the light of the world. And that was one of the main furnishings of the temple was this menorah. And each day it was the duty of the priest uh, to uh, uh, change the oil and to uh, put in new wicks and so forth and to make sure that that menorah was always burning, the seven golden candlesticks were always burning continually. In the vision that, of course, that was uh, quite a, uh, a laborious task every day. It was, uh, you know, doing the same thing, uh, cleaning up and and putting the fresh oil in. And uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those things that could become very monotonous after a while. Uh, but God gave to Zechariah this vision. He saw this uh, menorah with the seven uh, golden candles, or the seven arms on this candlestick. He saw the cups with the oil. But then he saw on either side of this menorah there were olive trees, and there were branches that were going from the olive trees directly into these cups, filling them constantly with the oil so that it wasn't a daily task that he had to worry about getting the oil and filling the cups, but here was just this sort of a Rube Goldberg kind of a thing where these uh, olive trees were feed, feeding the oil into the cups uh, just daily. And uh, the Lord said to Zechariah, what do you see? He said, I really don't understand it. And the Lord said, well, that's the word of the Lord. 
to Zerubbabel saying, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, this mountain of rubble shall be removed. In other words, he's discouraged. Uh, it looks like they're not getting anywhere in the removing of the rubble, but the Lord is giving words of encouragement, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Might is a word in Hebrew that is used for human resources or human ability. The work isn't going to be done with human resources or human ability. Power denotes human effort, physical or mental. And it should be noted that they had tried might and power and they had run out of their might and power, but the mountain of rubble was still there and the temple was not rebuilt. And so it's interesting when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Today, we see men trying to do the work of God through might and power. The Christian periodicals are filled with the conferences that you can attend, conferences on how to raise the funds for your church or how to stimulate church growth or how to win the world for Christ. There are Christian think tanks where uh, men come together and they explore new ideas to make the church and the gospel more attractive to the world. They're seeking for success formulas and for a price you can buy the recipe for developing a large church. The step-by-step -step processes whereby you can evangelize your community. I was going to say that these programs are a dime a dozen, but that's not quite right. They're $395 a seminar. If you, in, uh, if you register in advance, $500 if you wait and register at the door. Through over the 50 years that I've had in the ministry, I've seen hundreds of these programs come and go. I even participated in some myself in the early years of my ministry. As Zerubbabel and Joshua, I became discouraged after putting out so much effort and so little to show for it. When I had given up on the man's created devices and, uh, and ideas and their power routines, I just started doing what the early church did back in the book of Acts. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship and in prayer, and the Holy Spirit added daily to the church such as should be saved. As people would come from around the world to uh, discover the secret of the phenomenal work that the Lord was doing here, they were usually disappointed uh, because they did not have, uh, we did not have the success programs to sell to them. And they always thought we were holding back from them. Now really, what is the real secret of your growth there? We said, it's just the Lord, you know. Oh, no, no, no. Really, what are you doing, you know? And 
and they want you to lay out some kind of a program for them, but we didn't have any. We were just teaching the word of God, loving one another, and watching God do a beautiful work, and we've had that blessed privilege of being able to do that. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? I want to ask you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? There was a time when the hippie movement was a hot item in the press. And they were writing about it in the papers and in the magazines and so forth. This counterculture hippie movement had sort of uh, taken hold here in the United States. And uh, I was reading an article in the uh, Time magazine about these 65 hippies down there at Black's Beach in uh, San Diego who uh, stripped in, uh, to the bear uh, and in, went swimming in the nude there in the uh, bay at San, at San Diego. And I thought, is that all that, uh, you know, the magazine has a report on? Uh, 65 kids, you know, swimming in the nude uh, down in uh, uh, Black's Beach at San Diego. We're going to be baptizing about a thousand kids, you know, in Corona Del Mar. To me, that's more newsworthy than kids, you know, swimming in the nude down there. I, I think I'll get hold of uh, Time magazine and see if they would like to do a report on something else that's happening in the Pacific Ocean uh, rather than just kids swimming nude, you know. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. I was driving home from church and thinking about that. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, who's been your publicity agent up till now? And I said, well, you have, Lord. And I, he said, well, look, you haven't had to do any advertising. And uh, you've been in Look Magazine. You've been in Reader's Digest. You've been in several newspaper articles. Are you not satisfied with the job that I'm doing? And I had to say, well, Lord, I'm very satisfied. Forgive me. You know, let's you know, forget trying to contact Time Magazine and let them know. When I got home, uh, there was a fellow sitting in the living room, and my wife said, Honey, uh, this fellow's a reporter from Time Magazine. <laughs> he wants to do an article on, you know, the church and uh, the kids coming to Christ and all. And so uh, the Lord was one step ahead of us, uh, which he always is. Uh, but uh, it, it was exciting to see how God was working. And it is exciting to see the work of God continuing. The Lord was saying to Zerubbabel, you have worked so hard until you're totally exhausted. You're at the point of giving up. You've pushed the people until there's no more push. It is true that you can push people too far. And when they do not see the promised results, they get discouraged and quit. The time has come to let the Spirit do the work. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, 
saith the Lord of hosts, this mountain shall be removed. The result of letting the Spirit do the work, first of all, the work gets done. The mountains will be removed. We have different words to define a task. We say, well, that's very easy. Oh, well, that's, e that's difficult. We say, oh, that's hard. And then there are some who say, oh, that's impossible. And so we have a tendency to measure a task and grade it as far as difficulty or ability to accomplish that particular task. But you know, if it's God doing the work, then any talk of impossibility is absurd. He said, behold, I am God. Is there anything too hard for me? There may be mountains of difficulty in your path. It may be that you've been trying to move those mountains. It may be that you've been laboring strong and hard in trying to, you know, level things off, but it seems like the mountain is still there. And you have come to the conclusion, it just is too much. I'm weary. I can't do it. Well, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. And so there gives the opportunity for God to begin his work and to do for you what you can't do for yourself. The work gets done when the Spirit is the one doing the work. Secondly, you have the assurance that the work is going to be accomplished. The hands of Zerubbabel, the Lord said, have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands also will finish it. The assurance of God that work is going to be accomplished. And finally, God gets the work that is done when it is done. For uh, we know that we weren't able to do it and we had given up, but now that God does it, we can just watch him and we can uh, just give the glory to God for what he has done. So uh, he oftentimes waits until we get so discouraged that we're acknowledging, I can't do it. And that's what gives him the opportunity to then step in and do for you what you can't do for yourself. When he accomplishes his desires and the great success is always the result, all we can say is to God be the glory, great things he hath done. We look at the challenge of the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And uh, the fact that uh, this commission, we look at the world in which we live and we look at our weaknesses and we think, how in the world can we ever reach this world with the gospel? It seems like, you know, things are really just impossible, uh, you know, to uh, reach people whose hearts have become so hardened and so uh, enamored by the world uh, that uh, they're just not interested in the gospel. 
How can we do it? How can we reach them? Well, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, this mountain shall be removed. Oftentimes in looking at the difficulty, we're prone to just sort of give up and shirk from the task. And we say, who is sufficient for these things? But we must remember that our sufficiency is not of ourselves, our sufficiency is of Christ. We often get discouraged because we're looking at the difficulty of the task rather than at the sufficiency of Christ. Maybe you have a mountain of rubble in your life. Uh, you know that it needs to be removed and perhaps you've even endeavored uh, to remove that mountain of rubble out of your life because you realize that it is hindering your walk with the Lord so greatly. And uh, maybe you've come to that point of almost giving up and uh, just saying, well, just not gonna happen, it just can't happen. And uh, know this, it's not by might nor by power, but what the Spirit of God can do, he can move that mountain for you. I may be too weak for the task, but he's able to do much more than I could ask or think. And with his help, the mountain shall be removed. Don't give up, but give in to the power that God has provided to give to you uh, the ability uh, to move that mountain. I know it's impossible for me to move the mountain, but for him, there's nothing to it. Reminds me, when we were first starting out in the ministry, we were pastoring down in Tucson, Arizona, and our first child uh, was just uh, 18 months old at the time. A brilliant little girl, just a, a real lover and just the joy of our lives. And uh, smart as a whip. Uh, just, uh, she was so smart. and. Uh, of course, just, you know, lived with adults, just her mom and dad. And uh, she was just so, so, well, just real sharp. And uh, so we had a Christmas program for the church. And she memorized this little poem and uh, did a real good job with it. And she was going to recite it for the Christmas program. And uh, I can remember uh, still teaching her. Mama said I was too little. Daddy said I couldn't do it. Merry Christmas. There I said it. Really, there was nothing to it. And uh, so it was just a little, but she could say it so clearly. And, and we were so proud of her. And so uh, when she, uh, you know, she was a little hesitant uh, of, of doing it. But I said, honey, I'll buy you that new doll for Christmas if you'll, you know, say your poem, you know, because I was so proud of her you know, being able to say it so clearly and, and, and just she was so little, it was just really remarkable. And, and I was just wanting to sort of show off my little daughter. And uh, she got up in front of the people and uh, I looked down and her little lip was quivering and she looked up at me and she said, I don't want a doll. <laughs> <laughs> She went running off, and uh, and I thought, 
you know, I felt like a brute. You know, I, <laughs> I, I saw that little lip quivering and I thought, you know, I've been pushing her too far and, you know, I felt real bad about it. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, well, just one of those moments uh, that uh, you sort of rue afterwards. Um, the mountains, they're too big for us. We can't move them, but he can. And it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So let's just let him move the mountains for us. And he will, if you will just allow him to do it. Father, thank you for the help that you give to us. And Lord, there are those here today who have mountains of difficulty facing them. They're looking at the task and they're looking at the situation and they are feeling, Lord, I just can't do it. I don't have the energy. I don't have the ability. I don't even have the desire. It's just too much. But Lord, I pray that you'll help them to realize that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And it isn't by our might or by our power, but Lord, it is by your spirit, the mountain shall be removed. And so Lord, help us that we'll be able to turn over our mountains of difficulties to you, to allow you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm going to ask Tim to come up. And uh, may we be encouraged. You know, at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you know what, I've fought the good fight and I've finished the course. And um, we know it's rare in our lifetime to see... God works such faithfulness in people's lives. We're so used to hearing all kinds of scandals and drama um, in the lives of people in ministry. And at the, eight years, at the age of 86, 60 years, um, you know, he wasn't Jesus. And, um, you know, there were things that we differed on. And yet, we thank the Lord for the way in which he's used him. And it's a tremendous encouragement because it's a testimony of grace. A testimony of grace, the grace of God that consumes our weaknesses by the power of his spirit and gets the job done. And, um, you know, the testimony of Pastor Chuck is the testimony of someone who was surrendered to the Lord. May we be encouraged to be surrendered. May we be encouraged to be submitted and have our lives completely sold out because that's what he was. He was a man just like any other man in, in his humanity.
but it was, it was his submission to the Spirit of the Lord, his submission to Christ Jesus as Lord that caused God to use him in such a unique way. True general of the faith. Lord, we thank you so much for the work that you've done in and through Pastor Chuck Smith. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we are part of that legacy, that we are part of the fruit of his labor, and that to us the baton has been handed to continue running the race, that we would continue to fight the good fight, that we would be inspired by your use of him, and that we would recognize that we also are candidates who are able to be used by you, Lord, in whichever way you would choose. We pray for his family, Lord, um, his children, for his gr many grandchildren, Lord. Um, we pray for the ministry of Calvary Chapel um, and, and its continuance, Lord, in, in the way that you would have it to continue forward. Um, we thank you, Lord God, because you are faithful. As we, as we remember your work in and through his life, we say thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.